0: Thank you, Pastor Milton. It's wonderful to see all of you in a little different setting this this time, a setting that all of us will remember as 2020. Uh, what a year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, someone challenged me a while ago. I was just reading it, and um, I thought it was a good reminder. Instead of, how often have we heard, I just can't wait for this year to end. Um, I, they, they said, why don't we ask what is the Lord teaching us this year? And I thought, it really just struck me as kind of conviction of my own, because it's like, wow, God often does things in very strenuous and stressful times, times that we think, I want to get through it, but it's actually in it that the Lord is meeting us and dealing with us uh, and doing great things. And so our church, Reformed Baptist Church Riverside, uh, they are gathering right now outside as well, you guys have a little bigger space, so this is really lovely, very nice. What a, what a beautiful morning. One of our members recently said, I hope when we all get back to normal and go back inside, every so often we, we go back and meet outside. It's actually been kind of nice. And I have to say, on a day like today, it's, it's very lovely. It's almost like family camp, right? Um, I do bring the greetings of my fellow elders at uh, the Reformed Baptist Church. They uh, love you guys. We, um, we care for you. We're, th- we're thankful for the many years of fellowship that we've had together also bring greetings from Haven Today and my boss, Charles Morris, who's the speaker in the program, uh, who I believe has spoken here many, many years ago, and um, it's just a, a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. My wife and our three children are here as well, and we always look forward to this time of year to come and, and to fellowship with you. As I was praying about uh, what I, I should preach as I, as I come here and meet with you guys um, Isaiah 40 was just really on my mind. I, I did preach this message back at our church in early April when we were not meeting at all. It was just talking to a camera. And the Lord just really just encouraged me to, to, to speak a message of, of comfort uh, from His Word. Um, and at the same time at Haven, we've been preparing to talk about Handel's Messiah. So the last few weeks, uh, as I've been listening to Handel's Messiah and thinking about Isaiah forty, I was just like, okay Lord, that that's I want to go and preach that message again. If you're not familiar with Handel's Messiah, let me just encourage you, go pull it up on Spotify or Apple Music or however you listen. Now those of you who aren't used to classical music, it may take a second to get into, but it is one of in fact most experts say it is the the greatest chorale music ever written. It's an oratorio, it's a masterpiece, it's three hours long if you go from the very beginning to the end. Often at Christmas time they play what they call the Christmas section, which is beginning in Isaiah 40. Charles Jennings, who helped Handel put the music together, was a Christian man, um, a very wealthy man, and he came to Handel and said, "Here, here are all the lyrics, could you put this to music? Jennings had looked around London. London at that time in the early 1740s, was becoming dark. There was false teaching creeping into the church. Christianity was in despair. And if you recall, at the same time, men like George Whitfield and Charles Wesley, even in the Americas, Jonathan Edwards, began to preach with a boldness that people had not seen in decades. And God brought about the Great Awakening. And Handel's Messiah happens right at what they say is the beginning of this Great Awakening. And that was Charles Jennings' vision. I want to put the scripture to music so the masses can hear it. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. And so right at the beginning, my wife and kids and I a few years ago went and saw it performed out in L.A. And right at the beginning, there's just this voice. And oh, forgive me. Uh, I'm not going to do this well. But it's just this, comfort ye. And you just hear this voice calling out. Kathy said she could do it for us, but she decided not to come up and do it. But... Um, <laughs> she had the same idea. Like, we should sing that at the beginning. But right at the beginning, it's like this voice out of nowhere calling, Comfort ye my people. Comfort ye my people. And then it goes on and, and talks about there are a voice in the wilderness crying out. And it's right there that you are excited that this is the prophecy. This is the the, the, the words of God that are saying... I will send a Messiah, I will send a Redeemer, I will send one who will bear your iniquities. And that's how Handel's Messiah begins. So I wanted to give a little bit of context there for you, at least of what the Lord's kind of been stirring in me as I've been listening to Handel's Messiah on a radio program. Uh, and even at home, even this morning as I was getting ready, I was listening to it. To it. There's one song that comes out of Malachi, Purify uh, my people, it is it is a masterpiece. The 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 women voices and the and the male voices they're all being woven together, and you just get caught up in this rapture. In fact, let me just. Sh- Handel said that after he wrote this, now we're not quite sure was Handel born again. He was a Lutheran from Germany who had moved to London. Did he have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ the way that Charles Jennen did? We don't really know, but I will say this. Handel said that after he wrote this, in three weeks, he locked himself in his house and wrote it. And one day at the very end, he was almost done, he was in tears and his servant came up and said, Are you okay? Can I, can I help you with anything? And he, go, he said, I did think I did see all of heaven before me. And the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. He was moved at least with the idea of God's greatness. And that's what we're going to see here to, this morning We need a great God in this time, don't we? We need a mighty God. We need a God who is able and capable and who has all sovereignty. If we have a God that's any less, we have no comfort. We have no hope. And the reality is that even though in the context of what Isaiah 40 was written is quite different than what we are in, it still was a time of turmoil. And today, my brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of how big our God is, how holy He is, how just He is, how glorious He is. And we also need to be reminded how unbelievably gracious our great God is. Scholars say that chapter 40 here in Isaiah is the beginning of a a new section of this prophecy, that... Isaiah wrote over many, many times. The first section of of Isaiah is a section of judgment. Now, within that judgment are reminders of the coming Messiah and reminders to repent and turn from your sins. But all the way from chapters 1-39, through you have this reminder. If you do not repent of your idolatry, if you do not repent of your iniquity, I will send judgment. And on the whole... What did God's people do? They did not repent. They did not turn back to their great God. And so judgment was on its way. It's sad to look at, if you, if you have time later today, go back and look at chapter 39. I was telling Pastor Milton about how sad it is. King Hezekiah invites Babylon to come and to see all that he has. And in many ways, he kind of makes what he feels is a deal. If I show Babylon how cool I am, then maybe Babylon won't attack me, and everything's going to be okay. He made kind of a a truce, if you will, or an attempt at a truce. And at the very end of chapter 39, the prophet comes to him and says, What have you done? You have put your hope in other countries... You have put your hope in other men and not in God himself. And judgment is coming. It's not if. It will come. And you have kind of put the nail in the coffin, if you will. And you know what's sad about Hezekiah? That in verse 8, he said Hezekiah looked to Isaiah and said, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my day. At least in my day, I'll have peace and security. Judgment's coming for Israel. Woo, glad I won't be there for that. But at least in my day, I will have peace and security. Exile was coming because of rebellion and idolatry. But Hezekiah's idolatry was peace and safety. We'll talk about this in just a moment. So this chapter, though, is very different. As I said, as it begins, you have this wonderful call from God Himself, comfort, comfort my people. In fact, let's look at verses 1 through 5 here. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins." A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. and The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. If you know Handel's Messiah, you know that. And the, It's just this powerful hit. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Powerful words. Powerful, powerful words. So this chapter is long and lengthy. Don't worry, I don't have 18 points to go along. I tried to just just get at the heart of what the Lord is saying here. And I've kind of boiled it down. Verses 1 through 8 is really the comfort that comes through God's Word. And then secondly, we'll look at verses 9 through 26. The comfort that comes through knowing His greatness, that God is great, and there is comfort in that. And thirdly, the last section, verses 26 to 31, comfort comes through believing in God's Word and His greatness. So there's comfort in God's Word. There's comfort in His greatness. But finally, we need to acknowledge that. That needs to come in trusting and believing that his word and his greatness are for us. So we just look at, looked at verses 1 through 5 there. Um, I should have continued reading on 6 through 8. Let me just read that real quick and pick up in verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath, of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of, the God, of God will stand forever. In many ways, this is a letter being sit, sent on ahead to those who would be in exile. They had seen great destruction... You can read the prophet Jeremiah and his lamentations about how horrific uh, the siege of Jerusalem was, how devastating it was, how uh, depressed the people were as they were taken off into exile. We have in our lifetime experienced nothing like that. And yet, in this exile, because of their judgment, the Lord calls out and says, Comfort, comfort my people you find this theme over and over again in the book of Isaiah. God wants his people, his true people, his true Israel to be comforted. Isaiah 49:13 says for the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compa- compassion on his afflicted ones. And even today we need to remember that God's comforting nature it is always towards his people. He genuinely loves his people, that hesed love that fixed love as we were singing of great is thy faithfulness that faithful love that never ceases we're reminded that even in second corinthians 1 paul talks about how god comforts us in our afflictions in our time of trouble but one might ask why should we find comfort here there has been great judgment They deserved such judgment. But God explains in verse 2 that God would forgive them of their judgment. Even though they were rebellious and deserving of this judgment, God had a plan. He was working to redeem His covenant people. And what a reminder that is even for us today. He truly cares. He seeks to forgive His people, to find redemption for His people. And truly, the most comforting words that a sinner could ever hear are that your sins are forgiven. Not, I'll give you great things, not, I will give you great treatment. It is, your sins are forgiven. In fact, were those not the words that got Jesus in trouble with the Pharisees? They kind of marveled at his healings. But when he said to the person, and your sins are forgiven, hold on now. Only God can forgive sin. But God can't overlook sin either. This is not God sweeping it under the rug. It's not like, okay, you sat in your room for 70 years. Now I'm going to let you out and you can come out and enjoy Thanksgiving dinner because of the way that you behaved. It was so wrong, but now... No, he's not sweeping it under the rug. So how does God pardon them? Verse 3, many of you, I'm sure, even reading it thought, I know this. A voice cries out in the wilderness. Kids, do you recognize that? Who is the voice that cries out in the wilderness? Isaiah is the first to say it. But John the Baptist, when he shows up on the scene, there he is in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Messiah. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. And though the exiles may not have fully understood that this was messianic in nature, truly they knew that God was saying something very profound. They would have wondered, how is it that in the wilderness there's going to be a voice crying out, how is it that we're going to see God in all His glory even though we are sinful? And of course they would have at least picked up on the mosaic imagery here, right? Right? God taking His people out of Egypt, bringing them into the promised land. These words were rooted in Hebrew history to bring comfort. Out of the wilderness you will come. Out of the wilderness you will see the glory of God. All flesh will see the glory of the Lord, though it says. Not just Israel. Very interesting, isn't it? And we can see today that the Lord was working out He was planting those prophetic stepping stones, uh, that gradual uh, revelation of who this Messiah would be and how he would come to redeem, how this plan of redemption was unfolding. Even in Israel's exile, he would bring them back into Israel. And in this, he would keep his promise all the way back to Abraham that from him would come hope for all of the world. This prophecy here is pregnant with the great promises of redemption. God was protecting Israel physically, keeping them a very unique people to preserve the messianic line from Abraham to David all the way to a little teenage girl named Mary and Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Of course, in the latter chapters... Isaiah brings it into fruition, if you will. Almost fruition. I mean, you read Isaiah 53. I was just recently reading it. And it just, it's such a clear description of Christ and what He would come to do on the cross. The Lord reveals that this Messiah would be a suffering servant. One who would come and take the iniquities of His people. And you see in this prophecy and, and the expectancy that joy and comfort was going to be made possible through the forgiveness and the pardoning of sin. That the atonement would be laid upon one, a chosen one, an anointed one, one who could bear the iniquities of us all. One who could remove our sin. And today, of course, we know, (laughs) we have such a privilege of being post-Christ in His incarnation, in His holy living, in His death and resurrection and even His ascension, that now we live in the time that we can see clearly by looking back with the light of the Gospel, ah, I see, you're so clearly talking about Jesus here. It wasn't it that Peter and, and many in the New Testament said that The prophets of old just were like, Oh, Lord, I know this is going to be good. I just wish I could see it. I wish you could just reveal it a little bit more. We, brothers and sisters, know it. We've seen it proclaimed. In fact, maybe we've seen it and heard it too much that it doesn't revel us up. It doesn't cause us to stand up and go, Wow, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. How blessed we are today if you are in Jesus Christ to know the great I Am who took on flesh, who dwelt among us. And as John writes in his prologue, He beheld the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Through Christ we are able to behold God's glory in such a special way. Paul describes it to the Corinthians in his second epistle by saying, Let light shine out of darkness. Or, yeah, it has shone in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you're trusting in Jesus Christ today, if you're trusting Him by faith alone, you have beheld the glory of God In a very unique way that even Israel in their exile did not get to see. The Word of God took on flesh. The Word of God took away our judgment. The Word of God gave us His righteous record. The Word of God is ruling over His church even today. And He is the one saying, Comfort my people. Comfort my people. Even as we live in some kind of exile today. Exiled out of our churches because of a pandemic. Exiled as political discourse around us seems to be falling into disarray. Of course, nothing like Israel experienced. But even in these hardships, we have the glory of the Lord shining in our hearts. Our hearts have been regenerated. They've been renewed So that we might have hope. We have seen his glory, and one day we will behold his glory in a way that we have yet to experience. That already, but the not yet. So, in true poetic fashion, this section here, verses 1 through 8, begins with God's word being a comfort. And it end reminding us of this very same truth. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God will stand forever. The hope that we have, the comfort we can find in God's word should never be overlooked. God's word is so precious. It speaks truth to our heart. It convicts us of our sin. It reminds us to look to Christ on a radio program of several months back as COVID was beginning to break out we interviewed a pastor who's actually here in Riverside and uh, a gentleman at our work uh, goes to his church and he was one of the first people that I was able to speak to who had COVID and if you remember back in March and April uh, we had no idea that's why I keep reminding people going everything keeps changing well yeah because we had no idea what we were facing at that time. I was talking, uh, we were just interviewing all over the place. I was talking to pastors in Italy and in France. They said the sirens do not stop day and night. The hospitals are full. It is really bad here. And then all of a sudden it started breaking out here. We didn't know what to expect at that time. And this pastor said when he got it, he had to go to the ER. He couldn't breathe. And he said the only comfort that he found is he was alone. Nobody could come and be with him were the verses that he had memorized in his mind. Because he didn't even have time to grab a Bible and bring it with him. Particularly, he talked about Psalm 24. He had memorized it not too long before. And he just kept reciting it over and over and over. And the Lord gave him hope. The Lord ministered to him through his word during that time. Are we treasuring God's word, brothers and sisters? Do we see it as the great treasure it is? We need to. We need to. That time may come for one of us to be in our hospitals where no one could come and visit us. That time may come where great persecution might fall on our land. Our Bibles are taken and burned. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I've traveled to Cuba. I've talked to Christians there. They shared how quickly that happened. How some, I remember one grandmother had, the, or it was a grandson sharing that his grandmother hid the Bible at the bottom of their trash can so that they couldn't find it. How precious. Thank God for that, abuela. So verses 1 through 8, God's word is a comfort. Now we move into the next section where we see God Himself and all His greatness should be a great comfort to us. You know, a person's word is only as good as who they are. Does that make sense? You know, if you say, "I promise I'll be there at such and such time," uh, it really depends on if you trust that person. The more we know someone, the more we trust them, the more we can trust their word. So, in these next sections here, God is really demonstrating; He's reminding His people of His greatness. It'd be one thing for God to say, "Hey, let me give you some words of comfort. I've got this. I'm in control." And then we look behind the curtain and he's the Wizard of Oz just trying to pull levers and he's juggling balls. And he, Oh my goodness, this has gotten out of control. I don't know what to do. That is not God. That is not God of Isaiah 40. That is not the God of Isaiah 41, 42, 43, 44. Go and read these sections. It was these very sections that as a, a young man really affirmed to me, God is sovereign. He is in control and who am I to think of myself as almost a peer? If we're honest with ourselves, there have been times when we've almost thought of ourselves as a peer with God. Verse 9, let's just look at that. Going up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of God, or J- Judah, or one translation I was reading said lead the use there's a great call here to behold our god to remember his might it talks about his arm of rule that is a military strength god's people are to go and to behold him and then even in beholding him they're to proclaim the good news of who he is. And the good news here, brothers and sisters, is that he's not saying, you better run and hide. Behold, your God is here. Like a mom to a child, just wait till your dad gets home. No, it's not. Behold, your dad's here. Better run. Here comes the spanking. Behold, your God. You can trust in him. It's an invitation to see God in all His glory. To see that He has the strength to uphold His Word. But it's also an invitation. Look at that. An invitation to behold His tenderness. The mighty God. The Creator of all things. The One with no beginning. The One with no end. The One who knows all things. The One who has all power. All authority. Verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead them. This should just move us, shouldn't it? I pray it does. The kindness, the sweetness of the Lord. Is it not reflected in what David knew of our mighty God, of our great God? Psalm 23 is very, very near and dear to all of us. And here it is once again, the reminder that his rod and his staff, what do they do? They comfort us. His strength and his tender care comfort us. His Word is true because He is able to sustain it and to fulfill it. There is none like Him. And of course, we think back to those precious words of our Savior. Who did Jesus say He was? He is the Good Shepherd. And here in Isaiah, we are reminded that this coming Messiah the one that we need to redeem us, the one we need to rescue us, the one who has the power to put to death death, to do away with sin, who has all authority to do this, is a tender and loving and compassionate shepherd. And so verses 12 through 14, actually we enter into a series of questions here. Several questions to make us think a little bit more about who are we dealing with here. Just bear with me a little bit. Let's read 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hall of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Anybody here have an answer to those questions? Quickly, how big is the universe? I'll tell you what, I don't think it's infinite, but I think the Lord made it just under infinite to keep surprising us. <laughs> it's like no matter how far we keep getting telescopes that can see past the most distant star we thought we found there's a new galaxy something new that we've discovered we have yet to measure the expanse of the heavens and go through all these questions these are rhetorical questions really in some ways they're absurd questions but that's what isaiah that's what the holy spirit wants us to remember too often ancient israel too often the modern church forget who God is. I don't. I don't want to offend anybody here. If you have one of these shirts, but that, I think some ways maybe that's why I cringe a little bit when I see God is my homeboy or Jesus is my homeboy. I get what you're. I get what you're saying. That there's a, a closeness, a brotherhood, a friendliness. I mean, Jesus Himself looked at His disciples as, "You are my friends, if you do what I command." But when we step back and see God in His greatness. We fall on our knees. We fall on our knees. Have you measured the heavens? Have you weighed the mountains? Do you, oh humans, know these things? Are you able to to give counsel to God and give Him insight? Lord, I think 2020 should just end now. Can you just do away with this pandemic? Can you just get the votes counted right? Can you just get it together, God? We've counseled him, haven't we? Only God knows how big the universe is. Only he knows what is happening right now. Will I heard your pastor say they were praying and planning for 2021. Beautiful. Where there is no vision, the people fail. They don't flourish. We need to make plans. But we have no idea what we're facing in 2021. We are praying, aren't we? We are beseeching our Lord. Lord, please, bring an end to this pandemic. Lord, bring peace to this world. Lord, uh, help 2021 to get back to normal. What if we were just on the edge? What if we were what they were experiencing in 1914 and 1915 as war was beginning to break out in Europe? And then the worst war mankind had seen up to that time broke out. World War I. The Great War. The war to end all wars. Millions upon millions upon millions die. And then it ends in 1918. Hooray! Our boys are coming home. What do they do? They come home. They march in parades. And they share not only in the joy, but they share in the influenza the great pandemic of 1918, 1919, 1920. Millions of millions more around the world die. I'm not here to be bleak. I'm not here to, to make us depressed. But we have had it really easy, brothers and sisters. We don't know what the Lord has in store in regards to this world. We know this world. Really, the Lord is just restraining wrath at this moment. And yet there are times when He allows His common grace to be lifted. And we see what we deserve. We see what mankind can do. And it's horrific. And all the more drives us to our great God. Our only hope. He has no equal. We cannot counsel Him. It would be foolish to think we could. But even if we understood that He is not our equal, too often, too often we look to other things, don't we? To other things to bring us peace. Oh, a vaccine is almost on its way. Good. Maybe in March we can go on our spring break vacation. I'll admit it. I've thought it. I just want to get over this. I just want to get back to normal. I just want to get back to comfort. Look at verses 15 to 20 with me real quick. What does God say about putting our hope in other things? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God and what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Behold, the nations are but a drop in the bucket. If that is not a message for us today. We have far too often put our hope in constitutional measures, in peace and security, in the greatest military in all the world. These things are gifts. They've preserved our freedom for religion, our freedom to speak, our freedom to assemble. But the Lord is reminding us if we are putting our hope in a nation... If we're putting our hopes in a people, in a party, we will be let down. I think of a scene. Anybody here seen the movie Chariots of Fire? The story of Eric Little. You remember in that story, there's a, there's a moment where Eric Little is supposed to race his most important race. The one that he's most qualified to run in. The one that he's the fastest in. And yet it's on the Lord's day. And because of his conviction, he says, I I can't do it. I can't dishonor the Lord. I can't violate the fourth commandment. And they tried to persuade him to do it and to run on it, and he wouldn't be moved. He was under conviction that it would be um, not honoring to the Lord. So he doesn't run. And in the movie, there's a scene where someone else is running in his place, and it's juxtaposed with him preaching at a local church there in Paris. It's during the the Parisian Olympics back in the early 1920s. And what does Eric Little open up to? He opens up to Isaiah 40, and he begins to read right there in verse 15, Behold, the nations are a drop from a bucket. And it is, honestly, one of the best gospel presentations I've seen in a movie made by (laughs) non-Christians. Because Eric Little is reading these words that we just read, while men are lining up on the starting line, while they're running in beautiful slow motion with mud splashing on their face. Very, very epic. We see some people succeed. We see some people running and falling in slow motion. Some people sad that they lost. Some people striving. And on every single one of their shirts, it's like the American flag, the Union Jack, the French flag, in you know, all the countries of the world. And he's reading, behold, the nations are but a drop in the bucket and are counted as dust. Behold, he takes up the coastline. He goes on and says that the nations are nothing before God. If you haven't seen it, it might be a nice Thanksgiving movie to watch. Because Eric Little is reminding himself, because he was pressured to bow to Great Britain, to, to, get, to, to honor his king. This would be good for our nation. And he's reminded, no, no it's not. The glory of the Lord is the most important thing. That is my calling. As I said a moment ago, Hezekiah had put his hope in Babylon. That if he had developed a good relationship, a good friendship with them, they wouldn't invade him, they wouldn't take him over. And yet, we see that that would not be the case. God is reminding Israel, do not put your hope in nations. They are but a drop in a bucket. They will do nothing for you ultimately. Why are you looking to nations? Why are you looking to other kings for stability? The greatest nation in all its splendor is nothing before God. And God time and time again shows us. He allows great nations to rise up. Great empires the Babylonian Empire is a perfect example. Was there anything finer on the face of the earth than the Hanging Towers of Babylon? I've seen artist renditions of what it was like as the rivers flowed through, and there were orange groves, and there were just these beautiful-looking cities. It'd be just like walking through, you know, uh, the Grove in Los Angeles. Uh, it, 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 was, it wasn't any different. outside of they didn't have electricity. <laughs> look at the Roman Empire. Look at the Inca Empire. Look at the Ming Empire. Great Britain and America, put right there. The rise and fall of the nations. They are nothing before the Lord. And God is saying, come back and look at your true king. I've sent you into exile so you couldn't depend on me alone. Don't compromise. Don't trust in peace and security. Don't trust in nations. Trust in me. course the other challenge here that we just read is don't put your hope in idols our hearts are are, are idolatrous right john calvin says it's like an idol factory doesn't matter we can move from one idol to the next oh that camera wow it can see me oh hail camera no we're, we're like a little child that just if we're not focused on christ it can drift and drift and drift so god is saying don't trust in nations But don't trust in these false idols. There's a reminder about how they're made with hands. Uh, They they, they represent nothing. There's no hope in them. Don't be foolish. Today, really, the Lord is saying the same thing to us. We may not have the golden idols or the wooden idols, if you're a little of less means. But we yearn for peace and safety. That's what Francis Schaeffer wrote about a lot in the 60s and 70s. The idolatry of peace and security. But safety cannot come ultimately from a land, from a nation, from an idol. And when things don't go well... When these idols begin to fail us, what happens? Fear and anxiety well up in us, don't they? And I think we could all be honest with ourselves. We felt that this year. Oh, that we would look to God. Our only hope. Our only peace. Our only security. Our only comfort. And so, as we continue to move through the scriptures here, let's look at verses 21 real quick here. Sorry, the wind is blowing things around here. Verse 21 and verse 28 ask the same question, basically. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? There's a real call to us to come back to the Lord. In some ways it could be chastising words. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have your parents not taken you through the Shema in Deuteronomy 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Do you not remember that? Surely your parents taught you this. Surely your rabbis have taught you this. Oh, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to the great God. The God who comforts through His word and the God that we can trust in because of His greatness. Psalm 121 Your help comes from the Lord, the maker in heaven of earth. And so as we move into the last section here, verses 28 through 31. There's this great Call these great questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Continuing verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint or not faint. These words are beautiful, are they not? In some ways, you could read it like a chastisement, but in many ways, it is an invitation of repentance. H- have you not heard? <laughs> H- have you not seen the Lord? He is the everlasting God. He is the creators of all He is the creator of all things. Do you not know? Have you not heard these things? This is the great God that you have heard of since you were a child, Israel. This is the great God that you have rejected. And this is the great God who's calling you back to repentance. Turn away from your evil ways. Seek the Lord for forgiveness of sin. Because he's the only one that we can find comfort in. As he reminds us, every great king has an end. Every great human has an end. Even young people, though we can sometimes watch them as we start to age and see those kids running around in circles for hours and hours on end and think, do they never grow weary? The Lord reminds us they do grow weary. (laughs) They fall asleep hard at night, they need to recharge. The smartest of all people in this world, we cannot put our hope in. We can't put our hope in a vaccine. We can't put our hope in a party. We can't put our hope in the things that this world has to offer. Who are we trusting in? The Lord is saying, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the one you can trust in. He is the one who can renew your strength, renew your hope. Commentator Alex Mortier writes, This is not a hyperdemic syringe operation. The injection is some transforming serum called strength. It is what the Lord is in Himself. The unfainting, the unwearying one imparts His own unfainting, unwearying nature. It is the Lord Himself who is our strength. Psalms 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus our Savior, He is our strength. And when we wait upon Him, He renews our strength by being our strength. It's no longer we who live, it is Christ who lives in us. His grace is sufficient for us in this day. So I pray today, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is your comfort. I pray that His Word is a comfort to you. I pray that His mightiness, His greatness is a comfort to you. I pray that you can wait upon Him. That you're finding more time to wait upon Him. And to to have your trust grow in Him. He is able. He is able to be our strength. And to be our comfort. Yes, these times are wearying. Pray for your pastors. Difficult year. Challenging year. A lot of opinions out there. A lot of uh, input out there. We should do this. We should do that. Why are you doing this? Why are we doing that? We understand. We're in the same boat. As our main teaching pastor has said, listen, we are as much in the dark as you. We can't open the scripture and go, oh, here's how to deal with a pandemic. Oh, here's how to deal with political discourse. No, but we can go to it and we can look to see our great God and be reminded that this has not caught him off guard. This, isn't an extra, this is not an extra chainsaw tossed in with his four balls that he was juggling. He's like, oh, how am I going to deal with this? In fact, brothers and sisters, if you can remember God's Word, remember the words of Isaiah. He's decreed these things. He uses difficulty to purify His church. He uses it to put us to our knees. And to depend on him all the more. And I can honestly say this. I would never want to go back and start it all over again. (laughs) Sounds very wearying. I hope that my reminder that it could get worse is wrong. But I can honestly say that through this I have seen all the more how much I need Jesus. And how little I was depending upon him. How often I was depending on myself. How little in prayer I was in. How little in his word I was in. And how much I need him. And I'm sure many of you can say the same thing. May we look to our great Savior, our great creator, Jesus Christ, who walks with us in mightiness. Who walks with us as a shepherd. Who holds us in his arms because he loves us and cares for us. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. <laughs> Those needy little sheep. Those needy people who have often looked to other things for help and hope. And yet there you were in all of your glory before us. O oh Lord, we had heard. O oh Lord, we had seen. You are the everlasting God. You are the maker of all things. You hold all things together through you and in you and by you all things were made Jesus Christ O oh Lord help us to repent of our independence help us to fall to our knees in our neediness help us to rejoice and say as Israel was challenged in their great day in their great day of discouragement in their great day of exile to behold our God. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come and do the great work that we cannot do on our own to trust in, to rely upon, to cling to our only hope and Savior, our great Messiah, who brings us comfort, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.